All right, my friends, welcome back to Your Bible Book by Book. We are now in the uh, book of Joshua, and uh, what this uh, book signifies is a, a new section in the Bible, or at least in, in our arrangement of the Bible as Christians. Um, we uh, kind of put these books of the Bible in different broad categories. So the first five books uh, are the Law, or the Pentateuch, or the Torah, uh, the books of Moses, and then when we uh, open up Joshua, we're we're opening up uh, a new section, which is the historical books. And uh, there are twelve historical books from Joshua through Nehemiah, um, and it covers uh, the the conquest of Canaan. It covers the judges and the rise of the kings, and all the way through uh, until the exile, where uh, God's people are taken captive uh, by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Um, but uh, the original arrangement of, of the Bible with uh, the Jewish people had a different um, terminology. If you've listened to some of the other podcasts uh, on the Pentateuch, then you may have picked up that uh, there were different names given to some of the books of the Bible, and uh, there were some different arrangements or, or at least categories that they put some of these uh, books of the Bible in. Um, none of the content um, has been altered or changed or is different. There's no more uh, scripture for uh, a Christian than there was for um, a, a Jewish person until you get to the New Testament. Uh, but uh, how they talked about these books was a little bit different, and that does carry over into the New Testament uh, when Jesus talks about the law and the prophets. Um, their understanding of what those books were is a little different than ours. So let me dive into this just for a little bit. It's a kind of technical, but I think it's important for us to understand that the original understanding was uh, for the Hebrew people, the first five books were the law. Um, and then from there, they go to um, what they call the former prophets. So Joshua judges first and second Samuel, and then first and second Kings were all in one group, and that group was called the former prophets. Um, and then after that, um, you have the writings, uh, which would include um, everything from First Chronicles all the way through till Mal Malachi. Uh, and so they were all referred to in some sense as prophetic, um, which elevates the, the books of the Bible for the Hebrew person, for the Jewish person, um, in, in a way that I think Christians kind of lose a little bit. We, we look at uh, some of these books like Joshua uh, through, you know, First Kings or Second Kings, and uh, we, we think they're historical narrative, with it, which they are. Um, but the Hebrew understanding was that they were all written um, by and, and because of uh, prophets. And, and that needs just a little bit of uh, definition. A prophet was somebody who heard from God and spoke for God. So everybody um, in Scripture that we're seeing as a faithful uh, follower of, uh, of God um, who is hearing from God, they're, they're all prophets. They're all hearing from God, and they're all speaking for God. They're living for God um, in one way or another, and not always perfectly. In fact, um, all of them uh, have deep flaws um, and, and uh, go through some difficult um, transitions in their life um, where they're failing or, or they're uh, succeeding. But 
uh, there's grace and there's mercy and there's redemption involved. Um, a few people in the Bible um, are, are talked about in such a way that we don't uh, hear about their failures or their flaws, uh, but those are few and far between. Um, and so um, when we get to Joshua, um, we come to a, a book that for some people um, find it a little bit difficult, um, basically because it is the conquest of Canaan. And while we're reading through um, some of the, the, the battles and uh, the, the um, commands that God has given his people to utterly and, and completely destroy uh, certain cities and um, really what we would say, well, this sounds like genocide. Um, and uh, we have a kind of a, uh, a problem in our heart with this idea that God would um, not only permit but command for his people to perform uh, genocide on this entire uh, nation. Well, uh, before you uh, jump into Joshua, you, you do have to understand uh, what is happening. It's not just that God has um, promised this land to his people and, and they're going to go in and, and kill um, everyone who's living there in order to take it over. Um, this is actually a judgment uh, on the people of the land uh, because of their sin. It, it falls right in line with um, the flood uh, of Noah in his day that the sin of the people had reached such a degree and such a point uh, that God had determined uh, to judge the world, um, but also to uh, spare it uh, through the line of Noah. Um, or it would fall in line with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, where uh, a couple of cities, or, or basically it's a region, uh, had become so utterly sinful that uh, their sin had reached such a limit that God had determined to pour out his wrath on that area. And yet he's... Um, providing redemption through Lot, uh, that he is uh, removing Lot from that situation, um, that to God promises that he will not condemn the righteous along with the wicked. And, and that's a, um, a character uh, issue um, or a character trait uh, of God, that he will not, and he promises, even if there were 10 people um, in this area who were righteous, he would not pour out the same um, condemnation or judgment on the, the land um, and consume the righteous along with the wicked. So um, what we see is that there really is no one who is righteous in that area um, other than Lot, and so God rescues Lot out of, out of the situation. Um, and you see this over and over in Scripture. Um, the conquest of Canaan falls in that same uh, time frame, or that, not time frame, but that same category of a land and a people that have become so utterly sinful that God has has determined that that there should be judgment on the people. Um, in order to understand that, you have to um, go back to a few scriptures uh, through Genesis and uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Uh, so I'm going to kind of flip around um, in my Bible, if and uh, you can follow along if you like. But it's Genesis 15. And starting in verse 13, um, this is the prophecy uh, that God gives to Abraham about what's going to happen um, in the distant future. But it says, 
then the Lord said to him, to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. So he's talking about the fact that they will go to Egypt. Um, they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Uh, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. This is still talking about Egypt. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. Um, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And so that is talking about the Amorites, talking about the, the people of Canaan, um, that God is actually going to give them 400 uh, plus years of grace. Um, and there's an opportunity for them to repent, but uh, instead they, they continue to pursue a path of uh, wickedness. And so uh, it's going to reach its full measure, and then God is going to pour out his wrath. And in order to do that, um, he's going to use his people, the Israelites, to perform uh, the judgment. So in Noah's day, it was water. Um, in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, it was fire. And then in Joshua, it is um, people, the sword. Uh, Leviticus 18, um, 24 through 30 also kind of helps to, you know, bridge this gap a little bit. It says, uh, do not defile yourself um, in any of these ways, um, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and the aliens living among you must not do any of the detestable things for all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Um, and so everyone who does any of these th detestable things, such persons must be cut off from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you and uh, came and do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. And he's talking about... Um, in this section, the, the law uh, referring to sex um, sins um, and all the different uh, ways that they had defiled themselves with uh, immoral sexual practices and so forth, and then with idolatry, sacrificing their children to uh, false gods and all those kinds of things. And so God says their, their sin has reached a limit, and he's warning his people not to become ensnared by those practices themselves, or he says, I, I will um, cut you off as well, um, and you need to be careful to follow my uh, righteousness and my way and my law and not the, the practices of the people that you're driving out. Um, in Deuteronomy, it gives uh, a little bit more detail. Uh, Deuteronomy 9, and starting in, I'm going to start in verse 4, it says, After your, the Lord your God has driven uh, them out, the Canaanites, before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because my righteousness. No, it's on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. Uh, verse 5, it is not because of your righteousness that, or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Um, and so it, what happens there, if you uh, heard the repetition 
Um, that's very much on purpose. Um, we read those passages and we say, wow, that's really repetitive. Um, he's kind of going through it. But he does it three times. He says it um, in a very similar way three times because um, whenever you see something repeated like that three times, um, it means it is absolute, it is certain, um, it is guaranteed. And so God is declaring basically with an oath uh, or a promise that um, that their sin has reached such a limit uh, that they, they must be judged. Um, now, this points forward in, in uh, religious history, theological history, uh, biblical history to the cross, that uh, the sin of the world becomes so um, overwhelmingly um, you know, unmanageable that God is going to pour out his wrath again. And uh, how he does it uh, this next time is going to be on his own son on the cross. Uh, he will take the punishment that we deserve. And so uh, these things point to a, a reality that uh, a lot of times as Christians we, we forget or we don't understand uh, because we think maybe God has changed, that he, he's uh, doing things differently than he used to do it. Uh, he used to be very wrathful. Now he's very gracious and and uh, what is, what's happened here? And, and the truth is that God has not changed. He doesn't change how he uh, acts, how he is. He cannot change. Um, he, he is acting very much in uh, uh, accordance with how he's always acted, which is that sin must be punished. Uh, it has to be judged. Um, now, what happens is that he has always promised that there would be a day that a Messiah— um, would take that punishment that would solve this fundamental issue that people have, which is that uh, how can unholy people have a relationship with a holy God? How can we ever meet that standard? And God says, I will meet the standard. And so not only does Jesus live a perfect life and pay a perfect price on the cross, but he actually receives the punishment that we deserve on the cross. He takes the wrath of God. Uh, on himself so that we can have uh, forgiveness. And, and so how it is talked about in uh, 2 Corinthians is that we have imputed righteousness. God, um, he takes Jesus's righteousness and he imputes it or he, he transfers it to the believer, to those who will trust Jesus Christ. And then uh, it's a double imputing a double transfer so i receive the righteousness of christ but god also takes my sin and he imputes that or he transfers it to christ on the cross uh, so i'm seen as righteous and jesus was actually who was righteous was seen as uh sin and so it says he became sin who knew no sin that we might uh, become the righteousness of god so god transfers my, right, my wickedness to Jesus, and he transfers Jesus' righteousness to me when I trust him in faith. And so Joshua, um, it, it begins to help us to see that uh, the land that God promised uh, to his people um, is not just because uh, he loves them and he, he uh, has a special relationship with them, but that uh, they're actually going to function as um, his sword, his judgment on the land. And so when you read the book of Joshua, you're going to see uh, that they go in, and there are some great victories, um, but there's also some some pretty big failures. 
Uh, we love to talk about the Battle of Jericho, and they march around the, the city, and the walls come down, and, um, and then they go in and they destroy the city. Um, but immediately, they um, have some failures, and so um, they steal some one some people steal some things from the city they weren't supposed to take anything they were supposed to utterly destroy everything um, but some people take a few possessions that caught their eye um, and immediately they begin to uh, lose battles um, and they have to uh, cleanse their their community um, through repentance and God um, he judges the the one who did that Achan um, and so they they begin to um, you know, have some struggles as they continue to, to perform this conquest. Um, the very next thing they do is uh, they form a covenant with some of the people um, in Canaan. They weren't supposed to form a covenant with anyone in the land. Uh, they were strictly commanded uh, not to do that. Uh, but they uh, immediately, um, they, they are deceived. Uh, the people um, know that the Israelites are coming in to, to destroy the land. Uh, destroy the people, uh, to judge it, and uh, they they um, begin to try to figure out a way to deceive the Israelites to make a covenant with them so that they can't destroy them. And the Gibeonites do that, and the Israelites fall for it because they don't seek the Lord. They um, rely on their own wisdom, and so there's a principle uh, given to us in that. Uh, Joshua is the person that is tasked with uh, this immense job. Um, he has followed in the footsteps of Moses. Moses has died on the other side of the river. Um, at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses uh, is buried by God himself, um, and Joshua takes over as the leader of Israel. And uh, he gets to do what Moses uh, desperately wanted to do, which was to lead the people into the promised land. Uh, Moses uh, leads the people out of Egypt uh, and through the desert for 40 years, um, but he does not get to step foot into the promised land, and Joshua gets to do that. He gets to fulfill the promise that God had made 400-plus years earlier uh, to Abraham that, that his descendants would receive the promised land. They would come to inherit it, and uh, their faith and their identity is deeply tied to their land. Um, and so throughout the rest of Joshua, um, they uh, perform this conquest, this judgment. They receive the land, and then they divide it up uh, among themselves the way that God has uh, determined for them to do. Um, and in the meantime, um, because they fail to do it exactly the way that uh, God has uh, told them to, um, they are actually... Uh, going to f experience a lot of um, troubles uh, in the future uh, because there are still Canaanites that are going to give them um, some snares. They're, they're going to lead them astray. Uh, some of their philosophy, some of their idols, some of their practices uh, are going to uh, continue to give Israel um, a, a divided heart. And so uh, you see that pattern, that process throughout uh, the book of Judges and uh, continuing on all the way through uh, until the end, um, until Jesus comes, really. And so uh, the book of Joshua um, gives us a, a pretty clear understanding of, of why uh, there's this constant back and forth uh, with the Israelites in faith, in, in trusting God, in uh, worshiping idols, and then coming back to repentance and, um, and how that all works. So uh, Joshua himself 
is a, a great spiritual champion, um, and uh, he is a, a little-known um, champion of the Bible that uh, we don't know a lot about. We don't know a ton about his family, um, but what we do know is that Joshua fulfills uh, the Ephraimite um, blessing, that uh, he his, uh, his lineage is Ephraim. Ephraim was blessed uh, by Jacob um, and put ahead of his uh, brother Manasseh. Manasseh was the older, Ephraim was the younger, but uh, Jacob uh, crosses his hands when he puts his hands on their heads, and he blesses Ephraim, said he will be greater. Uh, and Joshua actually is the, the person who fulfills that prophetic blessing. Um, he rises uh, to the top to be the, the man who gets to deliver the promised land to the Israelites. Uh, so it's a, a fantastic book. Um, it, I would encourage you to go back and read it again if you haven't read it lately. Uh, that is the book of Joshua, and it is your Bible, book by book.